Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Let the good times roll as World Footprints rolls into New Orleans to share some of the great people from this great American city. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to World Footprints, the leading voice in socially responsible travel and lifestyle. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick, and along with my husband, Ian, we're coming to you from one of our favorite places, the historic Hotel Montelion in the heart of the French Quarter, where we are sharing and celebrating this year's French Quarter Festival with you today. Just on the eve of our two-hour live broadcast from the French Quarter Festival, we'll be introducing an actor from the hit HBO show, Treme, a writer of everything New Orleans, and the founder of a festival that embodies the spirit of women. Thanks, dear, and as we enjoy the view of the mighty Mississippi River and the French Quarter below from the Hotel Monteleone, we will tee things up with actor Terrence Rosemore of the HBO series Treme, where he is best known for playing New Orleans Police Deputy Chief Eugene Marsden. Terrence joins us to talk about his latest acting pursuits and his initiative here in the Crescent City to introduce the city's youth to the entertainment industry. You know, almost a year later, several of the kids uh, we were partnering up with on other projects and hiring them to do stuff for professional jobs that we've got. Native New Orleanian and travel writer Laura Martone is the author of the Moon Travel Guide to New Orleans, and she stops by to give her take on what makes her hometown such an interesting and captivating place for her and visitors alike. Well, Mardi Gras is a fun time to be in New Orleans. It's definitely, you know, there's a lot of energy, a lot of color. Um, a lot of music. I actually like, I, 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 well, I prefer, for one thing, French Quarter Fest. That's one of my favorite times to be here. Finally, New Orleans has earned its reputation as one of America's great festival cities. Rest assured, this city never needs a reason to host a festival. But just when you think that there isn't room for another festival, Another one pops up and offers something unique. For the last few years, Diane Lyons has spearheaded Festigals, a weekend-long celebration of the female spirit and strength, which she founded and will preview this year's festival with her. You know, women love to get together and have a good time with their girlfriends and their sisters and their mothers, but they also like to give back. And, you know, New Orleans had so many needs on so many levels um, that we thought, well, let's create something called the Bodacious Bras for a cause. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. Visit and connect with us at worldfootprints.com. Actor, writer, and producer Terrence Rosemore spends his time between Los Angeles and New Orleans, where he just wrapped the HBO series Treme, playing New Orleans Police Department Deputy Chief Eugene Marsden. In addition to his creative credits, Terrence, a native of Montana, has co-founded the Film and Art Vocational Initiative in New Orleans to introduce youth to the arts and entertainment industry in the city. As an accomplished drummer and percussionist, Terrence has also toured with Donald Harrison's Mardi Gras Indian tribe, Guardians of the Flame. Terrence, welcome to World Footprints, and we're so happy to have you with us during our French Quarter Festival broadcast. It is a pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much, sir. A lot of your entertainment credits focus on New Orleans. Is that just coincidence, or are you trying to find a way to make New Orleans your permanent home? No, actually, I was born in Great Falls, Montana, but I was raised in New Orleans. Ah, okay. That has to be a story in itself. 
<laughs> exactly. My father was uh, in the Air Force, and I think I stayed there until I was two. And then I moved to New Orleans, and then I moved to L.A., where I stayed for 10 years. And now I'm back between New Orleans and L.A. What is it about New Orleans? Yes, it's home. It's the place of your youth and now your life today. What makes it such a special place to you? The people. Um, I've you know, traveled a lot of places over the world, and I've met great people in great places. But the people here are just, there's just a, um, you know, a sense of family and giving that I haven't found uh, other places that are so concentrated by people that are indigenous to New Orleans. Now, Terrence, do you think that's because of all of the challenges that the city has overcome, that community has been created through these challenges, or is that has that always just been a part of the cultural fabric? I, yeah, I think it's a unique, uh, you know, offspring of the, the culture, which has, you know, has European, African, Native American, uh, you know, just all country, Irish, Italian. You, you know, I, I was just on the film I was working on, the prop person was from uh, the Philippines. And I found out that one of my second cousin's father is from the Philippines. And there was a whole, uh, you know, uh, group of Filipinos that came to New Orleans in the 1800s, in the early 1800s. And she didn't even know that. And so, you know, I think it's the tapestry of uh, of all these different cultures that have blended in together. Did Treme, you mentioned you were living in, in L.A. for a while. Did Treme actually bring you back to New Orleans, or were you going back and forth before you started filming the HBO series? I, I was going back and forth before, uh, but the uh, the series had me here where once I signed on, I had to be available, so I had to get an apartment here. And I would come and, you know, my family had a home, so I'd stay with the family, but actually had to get residents here to, you know, uh, to get cash, to be, to be available, for them to even consider me. So Now, Treme gave you the opportunity to work with someone that we're pretty familiar with in our parts, David Simon, who's, who's a Washingtonian, but he wrote for the Baltimore Sun, and he certainly made his name with uh, The Wire as well. What was it like working with that team with David? No, it's great. It was some of the best writing that I've ever been associated with. I mean, it was, uh, the, the material was always on the paper. It was so complex and it was so challenging. And I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's working with the best in the world at what they do. You know, the whole the entire crew. And you had a, it was an interesting mix because you had a, a part of the uh, Baltimore Wire crew and you had a New Orleans crew and you had a couple of people from New York and, other, and, and L.A. And so it was a, uh, uh, it, it was like, you know, just top level across the board. You know, everyone was uh, some of the best that they have done. And, um, you, you know, the, everything starts with the writing. And so uh, the, the material is so rich. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was like a dream, you know. Mm-hmm. I, was, I, was, I actually told the, the director of the film that I just completed, I said, behind Treme, this is the best experience I've had, <laughs> you know, working on a film. So, so you you hinted about this film a couple of times. What what is this film you've just uh, you just wrapped? Yeah, it's a it's a thriller, and um, it's uh, um, it's I, I think they've been trying to market it as a horror. Movie. On the surface, it looks like a horror movie, but um, the twist is that it's a thriller more than it is a horror movie. And, and, and so, can you talk about your character? I, I play a police officer uh, by the name of Tony Jenkins, and um, I'm assisting the detective who's uh, trying to figure out what exactly is happening, you know, in this uh, a set of gruesome uh, homicides that have happened. And um, 
you know, to the, the thing that made the uh, the movie great for me is that the black man lived. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow, though that's a film we definitely have to see. <laughs> right, right. Because when I when I got the you know when I first auditioned, you just have you don't have the entire script, and so once I was invited, I, I actually received a, a copy of the full script, and I was okay. I I lived. I went to the ravine, but I came back up. And so when I went to the <laughs> when I went to the read, you know, I was still kind of like, okay, this is where we said, well, you know what, we got to lose another, and uh, I lived, and so after we did the read, the director said, does anyone have any uh, comments or anything? I said, hey, man, thank you for letting the black guy live. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, Terrence, I want to I wanna come back to uh, Treme for just a second because uh, when it first came out, uh, I know people were concerned about how New Orleans would be portrayed in the series, and uh, uh, you kind of get m- many different schools of thought about it. But as someone who has grown up in New Orleans and you've had a chance to be part of this uh, wonderful ensemble for Treme, what are your feelings about the representation of uh, your city in that show, and and how authentic that is in terms of what was put out there for the rest of the world to see about the city, uh, especially for those who haven't been able to visit New Orleans? Absolutely, and you know my 25 uh, plus years of working as an actor, which most of it has been, you know, based out of New Orleans. Um, this is the best representation of New Orleans that I've ever been associated with. And I've shot, you know, The Apostle, which wasn't really set in Louisiana. I've, you know, I've, I've done a number of quality projects, uh, Nothing for Dying, uh, you know, great, great products. But this is the, the best representation. I mean, is it 100% New Orleans? Nah. Well, maybe 85, um, 90%, you know, about 85%. But when you shoot, when you you're using the medium of film or television, you know, there are liberties that you have to take. And so people, I think you get different perspectives of, of, you know, people from New Orleans are going to be the most critical. And then people who've either been here or want to come here, they'll have different perspectives. So from being a native, my perspective is, is that they, they uh, did they get everything right? No, but they tried really, really hard, and it was the best representation that I, I've seen. We've had um, a few folks involved in the uh, entertainment industry, the film industry, on our on our show, um, from the mayor's office to other uh, individuals who have created film festivals, and and I know New Orleans is considered kind of the Hollywood of of the South. Just because of all of the work, you know, a lot of film crews are in the city and are around the city. What is the industry like as an actor there, and how kind is the industry in New Orleans to females and minorities trying to break into the entertainment industry? Well, I tell you what, when I, I worked in corporate America for about 10 years before I became an actor. I was an actor for 10 years, and when I moved into production for 10 years, and I, with, with Treme, I came back into acting, and, which I've been doing for about maybe two and a half years. So my perspective is that after working in corporate America, and I worked for some Fortune 500 companies, the film industry was the least prejudiced or racist that I'd ever been associated with. And at the end of the day, they, it's about money. Now, I think on the East Coast, you're dealing with unions and stuff. Louisiana is a right-to-work state, so... You know, there were, you didn't have to go through as much red tape back when I started to get work. 
but it wasn't known to the uh, to minorities and even females. I think I started in 1988. I was as an actor. I did a couple of commercials and movies, and the crews were probably nine. A lot of times, other than the talent, you might have one or two African American crew members. Mm-hmm. And um, when I started work, I, I worked as a casting director for Cash Money Records about from 1999 to 2001. And myself, a gentleman named James Rock. Uh, a, a woman named Michelle Guazier, who was a production coordinator. Between the three of us from working with Cash Money, we, we did their movies and we did their, uh, their videos. So we shooting two or three videos that when they were at the height of their success. I kind of fell into the job. And um, so we were able to hire people. And what, what we saw was that if you come in, you work hard, you're professional, you, do, you know, you, you're on time, you, you will get hired. People, you know, and you're a nice person. Um, we didn't have the year, but now it's changed because now it's, you know, you've got Hollywood side, you've got the tax credits, so the unions are more diligent, and so, you know, you kind of got to go through those hoops. So it's, when I started, it was easier to get in, but I don't think a lot of minorities and females were aware mm-hmm. of the opportunities. That's, when I started, uh, when I was started teaching, um, uh, and, and acting and stuff, that's the thing that I was, Taking a, a vocational slant, uh, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to tell you how to make a movie, but I tell you how to get hired in the movies. One of the bridges that you're building to the industry is through the film and art vocational initiative. That's actually bringing in some of the minorities and some of the underrepresented groups in the entertainment industry. Talk to us about that initiative and how that is progressing in New Orleans. We're like a little bit over a year old. My, uh, I co-founded the organization with Jamal Pierre, who is a great visual artist, and we partnered with younger audiences at Lake Area High School. Uh, last summer, we had 18 kids. Uh, the city paid them through the uh, Mayor Youth Woods, uh summer program, and we taught them uh, acting, writing, filmmaking, visual arts, graphic art, and entrepreneurship. And uh, these were kids 14 to 17 or 18 years old. Most of them had never even wanted to. A couple of them had, you know, wanted had interest in what we were doing. But these were just random kids that were sent to us. And by the end of the program, as a matter of fact, you know, almost a year later, several of the kids uh, we were partnering up with on other projects and hiring them to do stuff for professional jobs that we've got. You know, kind of as apprentices and stuff, and so uh, that's our thing, man. We we're, uh, we're a new organization. We, we we work for mainly three young audiences um, of, of uh, Louisiana, which is a nonprofit organization that provides uh, arts and education in uh, different schools and after school programs and stuff. We, we're, we work with a variety of uh, organizations, but that's the thing. Just educating these kids from uh, I think when I when I started in '94 teaching. Uh, New Orleans murder rate was the number one in the country, like it's kind of um, now. Uh, and um, the thing that I saw was that I was blessed to be able to work and do things that I had to do and get paid and how, you know, I didn't have to, I was making decent money. I didn't have to put myself, uh, you know, in, in, in danger of getting arrested or, or getting involved in any kind of criminal activity. And so that's what I was trying to impart upon these kids, um, you know, that a lot of these guys didn't have any, they, they saw it as that they didn't have any options. And with the educational system and them taking arts out of school, a lot of things that have conspired to where we are now, what, what was going on in our inner cities. But um, the thing that I tried to uh, let these kids know was that 
um, deal with some, there's something that you can do that can make some money and you don't have to deal with all the other stuff, you know, because they got used to the fast money when crack cocaine came on the set. Well, I, that is so important, and it, it, it actually kind of leads me to this question. In terms of the program and in terms of the perception of opportunities with respect to the students and young people you are working with, are the young people seeing these new possibilities for themselves within the industry, and are they seeing themselves as having a role in being part of that change and that rebirth of New Orleans through this program? I tell you what I'm seeing in, in some of the youth, man, is that they don't see them beyond it. They don't see themselves as not trying to be a part of the industry. They don't see themselves as industries. You know, these are millennials that we're dealing with. These kids, <laughs> you know, they have access to a lot of stuff. And so the kids that um, already had an interest in the stuff that we were teaching, uh, you know, just the entertainment of arts industry, they kind of had, I was surprised that they, they had ownership, which I, which I love, you know, which is kind of why we included the entrepreneurship part of it. So um, you have a segment of kids who haven't been exposed to this and they had no clue that this could, you know, be something that they could have a career in or maybe they thought about it, but not seriously, but they didn't know where to go. And then you had uh, some kids who were kind of like, um, you know, self-starters who were kind of had shot their own movies and had been doing stuff. And so uh, that was the cool thing about it. You know, these kids, um, you know, I started teaching like in the early 90s, late 80s, and, and you know, comparing the kids, these kids are kind of like they're, they're hungry. They, they want it. They feel entitled. That's millennials, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how can these children, how can anyone listening, uh, any parent listening or any child listening, um, get involved in this program? What's the application process? It, it, it involves, man. We're, right now we're kind of, uh, we've got two or three programs that we're going to be doing and we're trying to figure out the, the times and all that kind of stuff because we're in demand. But um, if you look up the Film Art Vocational Initiative, um, you just um, type that into your uh, your, your browser, or put a FAVI, F-A-V-I, um, It'll bring you to our webpage, and we'll have contact information. Um, we we contract with our different organizations and different schools, so they usually deal with the enrollment. Okay. And so, uh, okay. yeah, it's kind of you know we we probably won't have that information. I, I should probably do until maybe April. You know, we'll actually have uh, get into the process of where we'll be and what what times we'll be. But uh, if, if people uh, Google. Film on vocational initiative. You know, to bring you to our uh, our page. Okay, and we'll and, have a we'll have a link yeah. to uh, to your website up on um, uh, on on the show page. I want to ask you about um, an upcoming feature film um, that you'll you'll be filming in New Orleans, Third World. Where are yes. you with that? Yeah, we're just finishing up the script, and we're kind of waiting for notes from our partners. Uh, right now we're independent. Uh, we're shopping it. You know, I, I would think we, um, I've always tried to be proactive in this industry. You know, if you kind of sit and wait for people to select you, you know, it's 50-50. Um, it may or it may not. And I think um, one of the things that led me to go behind the scenes was that I, I wanted to, you know, uh, see how the industry worked. I wanted to, that's why I went to L.A. You know, I was in my mid-30s when I went to L.A. Uh, I wanted to see how this thing worked. And 
and, and to, you know, kind of see how the sausage is made to quarter turn. And, um, and I think most people, when they start into film and arts, they, it starts as the art, as a passion, you know. And when you want to do it as a profession, that's when the business is introduced. And it's a 50-50. I think Quincy Jones once said that uh, the people that are most successful in entertainment and arts are people who combine the uh, creative equally with the business aspect of it, mm-hmm. you know. And so, um, you know, I, I just want to keep around and keep doing it. have as many experiences as I can, help as many uh, kids, you know, help people, period. Um, it was a school car I got into it. Uh, I was there. I was at a play. I was at a beauty shop uh, at the Sherman Theater in New Orleans. And I said, you do that. And the person I said, no, we didn't do it. And um, the next week, I'm going to my college class. There was a poster saying auditions. And I auditioned, and I got into a play. And, you know, just progressively got into it. So just do it. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. Hey, Terrence, you are one hardworking man, let me tell you. We didn't even really get into the music with you. We'll have to save that for some other day. But actor, writer, producer, musician educator, and humanitarian, Terrence Rosemore. Thank you for being with us today on World Footprints. Thank you, man. I had a great time. I thank you guys for inviting me. After the break, travel writer Laura Martone of the Moon Travel Guide to New Orleans on what gives the Crescent City that special je ne sais quoi. Well, Mardi Gras is a fun time to be in New Orleans. It's definitely, you know, there's a lot of energy, a lot of color. Um, a lot of music. I actually like, I, 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 well, I prefer, for one thing, French Quarter Fest. That's one of my favorite times to be here. Next, as World Footprints continues from New Orleans. Hi, this is Chantel from New Orleans. I love worldfootprintsradio.com. You guys rock. Experience China like never before with World Footprints. Introducing Footprints in China, the newest World Footprints Discovery Tour. China is a place that everyone is talking about. It's a country where the history of the world's oldest continuous civilization collides with modern society. China boasts some of the most magnificent wonders on Earth, but is so much more than the sum of its parts. Footprints in China was designed by World Footprints to offer an authentic and experiential travel opportunity. Book your Footprints in China tour today and leave positive footprints by helping to support the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. Book before May 1st and save $250. This trip is limited to 24 travelers. Visit worldfootprints.com or call 800-556-7896 for more information. Experience China like never before. Call 800-556-7896 today. Hi, I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. A few years ago, we decided to leave our respective legal practices to live a more purposeful travel life and help others leave positive footprints. World Footprints was born and was quickly recognized for its award-winning journalism. We've covered events from the Olympics to a Titanic expedition, and we've discussed conservation, environmental, and public diplomacy initiatives. Join us for award-winning radio and visit our website, worldfootprints.com, for daily travel deals and comprehensive travel information. Join award-winning World Footprints Radio, a leader in socially conscious travel for inspiring, entertaining, and educational shows. Meet well-known guests like Bobby Kennedy Jr., actress Stephanie Powers, director Ken Burns, 
David Rockefeller Jr., and other celebrities, newsmakers, and industry professionals who celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage, and support public diplomacy. Travel with us to unique places around the world. Join us in our efforts to raise awareness about environmental conservation and human rights issues and learn what you can do to leave positive footprints one step at a time. Visit our interactive and informative website, worldfootprints.com. My father had prostate cancer. My grandfather, two great uncles, died from it. I wish I'd known about the family history, but it just wasn't talked about. My name's Lonnie. I had my prostate removed in May of 1995, and I'm still here. So there is life after prostate cancer. I'm living proof. One thing I would want to share with any man that thinks that he may have prostate cancer is, number one, get it checked. Secondly, you have time after the diagnosis. Read, learn, go talk with your doctor, and make some decisions. Because knowledge is power. It cannot be understated. Prostate cancer is the most common cancer among men in Michigan. If you've been diagnosed, talk with your health care provider about your options and visit prostatecancerdecision.org today. Sponsored by the Michigan Department of Community Health, the Michigan Cancer Consortium, and the Michigan Association of Broadcasters. Did you know that World of Footprints has something for everyone? From great radio shows with celebrity guests and the latest travel news and information to dynamic travel deals and more. Make worldfootprints.com your first stop. Also, don't forget to visit the Travel Marketplace for sales on travel essentials and services. Hey, this is Jay at the French Quarter Festival in New Orleans. You're listening to World Footprints. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints from New Orleans. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. There's no better way to experience a city than through the eyes of a local. That's what we're going to do today as we're back in one of our favorite cities, New Orleans. Laura Martone was born and raised in the Big Easy, and even though she's traveled all over the world and even left Louisiana to study, her heart has remained in New Orleans. Laura has authored The Moon Travel Guide to New Orleans and stops by today to give us a taste of authentic New Orleans. Laura, welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. And congratulations on the New Moon Travel Guide, the third edition. You've always returned to New Orleans after moving away for school and other things. What keeps you there today? Oh, well, there's just no place like it. I mean, it's definitely my favorite city in America. And, I mean, yes, I guess I'm biased because I was born and raised here. But, you know, I mean, I just I just think, like I said, there's no place like it. I've lived in Chicago and L.A., um, South Padre Island in Texas. I've lived all over the place. And even though I do love to travel and I love to leave to see other places and experience, you know, other people and other um, regional traditions, I still I still always come back here because it's, just, I guess the pull is that strong. And my husband and I actually live in the French Quarter, which as a child was always a dream of mine. So I'm, I'm glad to be here now. There's definitely no place like that. <laughs> now, there's a timeless quality to many parts of New Orleans, but given the perspective that you grew up there and now you're living there, how does the city look and feel to you versus what you experienced growing up in New Orleans? Well, it depends on the area. I think in many respects it it hasn't really changed. I mean, the quarter, I would say even 
You know, I'm I'm 36 years old, so it's not like I've, I've been around that long. And even as a child, I think the quarter was a very popular place for tourists. Um, but you could easily get off the main streets, like, you know, like Bourbon Street, and still kind of feel um, the, you know, the history of it. And um, especially at night. My husband and I love to wander around at night, like through Jackson Square. I mean, it's a very atmospheric place, and you really do feel almost transported back in time. So in some senses, I don't think it has changed. Obviously, Katrina changed things, um, because I had lived for, during my high school years in an area called Lakeview that was underwater mm. uh, during Katrina, so or after Katrina. So obviously, that affected things, because places had to be rebuilt, and, and so it looks different. And like, for instance, all of my childhood homes are gone now. So there are things that are different just from a personal standpoint, but... Um, and certain businesses that I loved as a kid. I was even talking recently to some friends about a place called O'Flaherty's. It was an Irish pub that had, you know, great music, and it, it went away after Katrina and never came back. And so there are certain haunts of mine that are gone. But the vibe of the city, I still feel is, is intact, you know, mm-hmm. as it was when I was little. So, Laura, you know, for a listener who's never been to New Orleans, what do you think the greatest misperception is about the city? That it's just a party place. I think that that's a part that, you know, whenever I, I, I meet someone who's never been in New Orleans, their first thought is Mardi Gras. Um, and while Mardi Gras is a fun time to be in New Orleans, it's definitely, you know, there's a lot of energy, a lot of color, um, a lot of music. I actually like, I, 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 well, I prefer, for one thing, French Quarter Fest. That's one of my favorite times to be here mm-hmm. um, in the city. And so I just feel that the the... That is an issue, you know, that, that people think that it's just a party place. But, I mean, the other things that people expect, the good food, the good music, that's definitely true. I think that the, the thing, too, there is a lot of tourists feel like they have to hit Bourbon Street. And while I think that, yes, it's great to experience that, you definitely shouldn't stay there. You know, there's better music elsewhere, better food elsewhere. Yeah. Um, so I think those are some of the, you know, the, the misperceptions of of New Orleans. And, you know, um, I think what surprises a lot of people, um, even, you know, people who come down for French Quarter uh, Festival, is that there are a lot of family-friendly venues throughout the city. Oh, yeah. I think the city has gone out of its way to really include, you know, family activities. Um, French Quarter Festival is a great example. Mm-hmm. And like you, it's one of our favorites, which is why we come back every single year to broadcast. Right, right. Um, but but there's a lot even outside of, you know, the festivals for families to, to get involved with. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Well, even, you know, different attractions. I mean, Audubon Zoo and the Audubon Aquarium, Audubon Insectarium, which is the new, you know, the newer one of of the Audubon family. That one's great. It's obviously all about insects. Um, From butterflies to roaches, but it's a really cool, that's a cool place for families. Um, Really any age, you know, person can enjoy it there. But, um, you know, there's Blaine Kern's Mardi Gras World, which is a great, you know, sort of behind-the-scenes look at at the floats Mm -hmm. and sort of the spectacle of Mardi Gras. So there's a lot of attractions for families, for sure. Mm-hmm. And then there's even, I mean, plenty of venues, just musical venues and, and food and, you know, just some places. It is a very family-friendly town. There are just certain areas. My husband and I often joke when we see little kids um, on, on Bourbon Street at night. You know, I'm not I'm not sure that that's the best thing, but I guess if the parents are there and they're willing to explain what they're seeing, then, you know, that's up to them. But, I mean, there are definitely certain areas that I might not bring a small child um, 
But I, I think, yes, overall, it's very friendly town. Well, you know, I, I have a cousin who grew up in New Orleans as well, and, and her mother, um, she spent a lot of time on Bourbon Street. New Orleans obviously has seen a lot of uh, rebuilding and reconstruction on so many levels post-Katrina. You and your husband, Daniel, uh, launched a, a film festival and the city received mm-hmm. lots of positive press during uh, the recent Super Bowl. What have you seen in terms of uh, the rebuilding of the city post-Katrina that gives you hope for the future for your hometown? Well, besides the fact that things, you know, like the Mahalia Jackson Theater wasn't really, you know, a, a thing before Katrina. I mean, there are, you know, big, big... Um, uh, establishments like that that you definitely see, but also I think it's just the the vibe of the city. I think right after Katrina, so many people have left. Even my family. I mean, my mom used to live in New Orleans, and she moved to Baton Rouge along with my grandma and my aunt. And so there was a, there was definitely a mass exodus. But I think there was because of that, it kind of presented an opportunity. And so there's been an influx of really creative young people too. So there's a lot a lot more artists and musicians and creative types, writers here now. So I think that, in a way, it sort of became a rebirth of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and while it still is plagued by certain things, you know, crime and poor education and things like that, certainly things that were still, the interest, you know, the, the government is still um, grappling with, um, I think that the spirit is not only intact, but in some ways it was sort of revived. Um, and so, I mean, that's what I see, I think, overall. And then a lot of places... Like I said, a lot of places did come back, and thank goodness that Katrina um, didn't affect uh, the French Quarter. I mean, in some ways, the French Quarter is probably more affected by the BP oil spill simply because of the seafood and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily, Katrina itself, there was some wind damage. But, I mean, if, if the French Quarter had flooded, we'd, it would be a very different conversation, you know. Um, so I think that because the different tourist parts of the city and the heart of the city. I mean, I think a lot of people still feel like the French Quarter is at least, you know, part of the heart of the city. Um, I don't know. It just it just gave New Orleans... It, Katrina is a terrible thing, and I don't wish that it had happened in the city, certainly, but it, and there is sort of a silver lining in that, like I said, there's been sort of a rebirth. Um, and I definitely feel it. My husband and I feel it. We're not the only ones that came back, you know, to try and help and, and everything, so... New Orleans in my opinion, has such an incredible reservoir of goodwill that despite the problems that afflict the city and those have been well enumerated in the media, this city overcomes that perhaps in ways that other places don't. Why do you think that is the case? You know, it doesn't I don't know. That's a really good question. I, I wish that I had a definitive answer. I think it's tough. I mean, that's, you know, one of the nicknames, of course, of the city is the city that care forgot. And I think that, you know, it's kind of true that, that we have been through quite a lot, not just hurricanes, but, you know, fever epidemics and, you know, all kinds of stuff um, in the past. And we always sort of like a phoenix rise from the ashes again. And I don't know exactly what it is. I do think that part of it, though, is that it is such a unique place and people are very aware of that. And so, therefore, it's it's something that residents are fiercely proud of and very protective of. So I, I feel like that is part of it, you know. But why this particular community of people stick together like that, I can't I can't really say, except, like, like I said, to say that it, it is because I think we're well aware it's something that needs to be fought for yeah. and preserved. 
Yeah, you know, and nor can we really articulate why we have such an affinity with New Orleans, which actually predates our our, our broadcast. It's just one of those cities, mm-hmm. and and maybe not everybody, but for us, it just it it grabs your soul. It grabs you, and you mm-hmm. become part of it. Um, and uh, and so you know, we uh, we are we are uh, cheerleaders. And actually, I'm going to have to talk to your mayor about giving us the key to the city because I think we deserve <laughs> this. <laughs> this um, but, you know, we, we talked a little bit, you know, or, or you had mentioned earlier that there are so many other treasures outside of the French Quarter. And, of course, you know, we're here for French Quarter Festival. But we also like to showcase New Orleans as a city, as a whole, because it's it's so much more than the French um, French Quarter. What are some of your favorite treasures outside of the quarter and, and certainly, you know, throughout the city? Where do you like to go as a local? I, I like City Park a lot, which is in um, in Mid City, and you can actually get to it easily from the quarter or the CBD, you know, the business district, um, via one of the streetcar lines, one of the newer streetcar lines. So it's really it, that was another thing I was going to say about the city is that it's it's a very compact big city. It's kind of a small big city, so it's really easy to get around even without a car, just by using the streetcar, um, the bus system, you know, bikes. Uh, so it's, you can pretty much stay anywhere you want. You don't have to just stay in the expensive quarter um, to get to the quarter. But anyway, I like City Park a lot, and there's um, next to Noma, which is the New Orleans Museum of Art, there's a sculpture garden that's really mm-hmm. great um, that was named after um, the, uh, the Betsoff family who um, used, to, used to own a, a drugstore called K&B that obviously no longer exists. I think it was taken over by Rite Aid long ago, um, like so many other local businesses. But uh, anyway, it's a great... I think it's like five acres, and it, but it's filled with like 60-plus sculptures and these little lagoons and fountains, and it's just a very peaceful little oasis, you know, in the city. Mm-hmm. And I like places like that. Um, my husband and I actually spend the summers in northern Michigan in the middle of nowhere, you know, on a lake amid the woods. So, I mean, I think I like getting that sometimes, trying to find, um, you know, those kinds of little oases in, in, in an urban place like this. And Audubon Park is very nice, too, uptown. Right. Um, and the streetcar. I highly recommend anyone anyone hopping on board the streetcar. It's so cheap. It's like a dollar twenty-five. so it's kind of one of the best bargain attractions there is because they are historic, you know, especially the streetcar, the uh, St. Charles streetcar line. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a great way to see to see the city. Um, in fact, um, my husband and I, we, we actually produced an audio tour, a ghost tour of the French Quarter, and we're working on one for the streetcar line as well because it's so interesting and it's just a fun, fun activity to just stay on and look out, you know, look at all the historic buildings along along the, the oak-shaded avenue. So um, so I, I like those. I like uh, music in the Faubourg Marigny, which is next to the French Quarter, so I highly recommend that if you're really looking for more authentic blues and jazz, you know, that you would head over there. That's where a lot of the locals hang out. Um, versus the quarter. Mm-hmm. But there are some great venues in the quarter, too. I mean, some of my favorite places, I love the Cary the Irish Pub and One-Eyed Jacks. They're two great venues that have a lot of, of live acts um, that are away from Bourbon Street. Um, but uh, not that I'm, you know, <laughs> talking badly about Bourbon Street. I just don't think that's the only place people should stay. In fact, I've heard from visitors who have never been to New Orleans before say they wouldn't come back because basically they spent all their time on Bourbon and it wasn't what they were hoping. Well, you need to get off, you know, that street and explore a little bit more. And like I said, because the city's relatively small, it's not that hard to get around and see, you know, better venues. A good venue, too, is Rock and Bowl, um, which moved... um, 
fairly recently, um, but it's, so it's sort of on the fringes of Uptown, and that's a great place. It's a bowling alley, but they feature a lot of really great music. So you can kind of, you, in fact, if you're there, playing, I think bowling, you, I think it's still like this. You don't have to pay a cover charge because you're already there, and then once the music starts, you get, you know, sort of a bonus to your bowling game. I do want to actually ask you about Northern Michigan because that's my home state. Um, oh, cool! Yeah, but but you know I'm also Ian and I are also foodies, um, and so I mm-hmm. have to ask you, where's your favorite place to to enjoy New Orleans cuisine? Well, here or in I mean in New Orleans or yeah, in Michigan? No, well, I don't know if Northern Michigan has offered <laughs> 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 Northern Michigan has attempted it. There's a place in Traverse City that I won't mention their name, but they definitely do not do it the way I anticipate New Orleans cuisine to taste. I'm but, sure. Um, <laughs> so I've tried that, no. But, oh, here, yeah, wow, that's tough. I mean, in, in New Orleans, I have a very long list. And the funny thing is my husband is actually from Michigan. He's a, you know, he's a GM brat. His father and one of his older brothers works for GM. And so he, he grew up in the Detroit area. Uh-huh. And um, so that's part of why we go up there in the summer months. And he really fell in love with New Orleans. I mean, in some respects, I'd almost say, and I, I, I shouldn't say this, but he almost loves it more than me. I mean, I love the city for sure, but he's definitely, I mean, just attracted to everything about it. The culture, um, the music, the food, just the sort of almost island time vibe of the city, you know, everything's very laid back and um, all of that he loves. And he's a really good cook, so he especially loves the food. So it's tough for me sometimes to answer the question of where my favorite place is, because my favorite place would be like Shea Dan's, because he does such a good job with Pretty much all the you know the big the big cuisine all the the staples jambalaya and um, gumbo and you know shrimp shrimp etouffee all of that but um, I we really like in the quarter we like Castle Sparrow, which is a very inexpensive place on Decatur if you want fried seafood um, I often joke to people that if they serve gumbo and raw oysters I probably wouldn't eat anywhere else but unfortunately they don't so I have to go elsewhere um, Oceana also in the quarter has really good raw oysters if you're into that they're very mm. clean and delicious I, I love raw oysters but I'm not a big fan when they've got big chunks of dirt in them um, so they, they do a really good job there um, but outside of the quarter I uh, my husband and I also really like Giacomo's, which is uptown. And they do New Orleans staples, but, like, with a twist. Everything is very creative. Like, they do this really awesome, um, I think it's a, it's a seafood cheesecake that's really good. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think, like, in Mid-City. Mid-City has a lot of really good restaurants, too. Um, I like uh, Katie's. Um, Mandina's, which is more traditional, although service sometimes is a tough thing to deal with. They're kind of, um, it's, it's hit and miss there. I think it's because it's been there forever, so they kind of feel like they can get away with it. But the food is good. Mm. They have a really good oyster artichoke soup there that I like. Um, and then even the Marini have some really interesting places. There's a sushi place called Wasabi, and then there's another place called Mojitos that does a really good job and has like a ton of mojitos. So if you're into rum drinks, that's a good place to go. Yes. So, I mean, Laura, you have given us so many great ideas of uh, places that we should check out after our broadcast today. Uh, Laura Martin. I'm glad. I'm glad. The, Maybe I'll join you there. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, the, the author of Moon's 
guide to New Orleans. We thank you so much for being with us as part of our French Quarter Festival broadcast today. Well, thanks for having me, and have a great weekend. When we return, we'll preview this year's Festigal Conference, a weekend-long celebration of the female spirit and strength with Festigal's founder, Diane Lyons. You know, women love to get together and have a good time with their girlfriends and their sisters and their mothers, but they also like to get back. And, you know, New Orleans has so many needs on so many levels um, that we thought, well, let's create something called the Bodacious Broad for a cause. Next, as World Footprints continues. Hi, I'm Patricia Elsie from Mother's Restaurant, and I'm sitting here with the famous World Footprints radio people, Tanya and Ian, <laughs> and they love our cooking. And they really enjoy the food. I love them. And I hope they come back in. Women, freedom to vote to 72 years. From 1848 to 1920. Visit Seneca Falls, New York. For more information, Suffrage Wagon News Channel, suffragewagon.org. Visit the Galapagos Islands, meet polar bears in Canada, sip wine in northern Italy, explore the Hawaiian Islands aboard a luxury yacht, and stand face-to-face with China's terracotta soldiers. Explore the world on a journey of a lifetime with World Footprints Discovery Tours. These tours give a unique view of the world in an intimate, small group setting with the freedom to immerse yourself in local culture, learn, and make new friends along the way. Book early and save. Visit worldfootprints.com and look for Discovery Tours to begin your next adventure today. Join award-winning World Footprints Radio, a leader in socially conscious travel, for inspiring, entertaining, and educational shows. Meet well-known guests like Bobby Kennedy Jr., actress Stephanie Powers, and director Ken Burns, along with other celebrities, newsmakers, and industry professionals who celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage, and support public diplomacy initiatives. Travel with us to unique places around the world and join us on our efforts to raise awareness about environmental, conservation, and human rights issues and learn what you can do to leave positive footprints one step at a time. Also, visit our interactive and informative website at worldfootprints.com. Are you planning a vacation, a business trip, or a honeymoon abroad? Want to enhance your trip and make a meaningful contribution to the places you visit? PackForAPurpose.org can show you how. Before you travel, visit PackForAPurpose.org. It's easy to make a big impact. Don't have the time to give back to the community? No time to socialize or network? Then volunteer with OneBrick. Volunteer only when it fits your schedule, and then join us for food, drinks, and great conversation afterwards. It's a great way to meet new people, have fun, and help the community. Join us at www.onebrick.org. That's www.onebrick.org. One Brick. Volunteering made easy. Did you know that World of Footprints has something for everyone? 
from great radio shows with celebrity guests and the latest travel news and information to dynamic travel deals and more. Make WorldFootprints.com your first stop. Also, don't forget to visit the Travel Marketplace for sales on travel essentials and services. World Footprints Radio is an award-winning broadcast and leader in socially conscious travel. Hosts Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick bring you entertaining and informative interviews with well-known celebrities, newsmakers, authors, and industry professionals. From environmental leaders like Bobby Kennedy Jr. and David Rockefeller Jr. to conservationists like actress Stephanie Powers and director Ken Burns. Tune in to hear travel journalism at its best. Visit unique places from around the world and stop by the worldfootprints.com website for comprehensive travel information including special daily travel deals. Hi, I'm Callie Schultz from the great city of New Orleans and you're listening to World Footprints Radio. We can't wait to see you in New Orleans very soon. And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to World Footprints, coming to you from the Hotel Monthleon in New Orleans. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. New Orleans is a city that never sleeps. Everywhere you turn, there's a new event, new restaurant, or attraction, and the city never needs a reason to host a festival. But when you think that there isn't enough time for another festival, another one pops up and offers a unique celebration. For the last few years, Diane Lyons has spearheaded FestiGals, a weekend-long celebration of the female spirit and strength. Diane, welcome to World Footprints. Thank you, Tanya. I'm thrilled to be with you again this year. This is our third annual FestiGals, um, June 20th to 23rd, this year in New Orleans. So, I mean, FestiGals sounds like a great girlfriend's getaway. What prompted your founding of this this festival? Well, I'm an event planner by career, so I'm always looking and, and dealing with events, and I noticed that in New Orleans, we didn't have a women's weekend. We had a weekend for oysters and tomatoes and fried green tomatoes, but we didn't have one for just women, and I wanted something that was empowering, entertaining, uh, educating, but also brought in wonderful, fun elements that you can only get in the authentic city of New Orleans, and so I tried to create this ultimate girls getaway weekend that's all about you, but also has a serious business side. So you can get that professional development. You can also get personal development, but you can have cocktails, private home tours, and some meadow stroll through the French Quarter, which is a one-of-a-kind you can only get in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And you've actually had some major star power keynoting the weekend festival from Hoda Kapi to uh, Soledad uh, O'Brien. That's really a testament to, I think, the power of female friendships, wouldn't you say? I would absolutely say it's been based on friendship, and it's been also based on the love of New Orleans. People around the world, wherever we travel, and I know you feel this too, Tanya, always come back to, oh, my gosh, I love New Orleans. I can't wait to get back there. So, you know, reaching out to stars, um, uh, sometimes they have that passion in their heart for New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and as you alluded to, um, you know, you put together kind of a a one-stop place for fun, entertainment, and, um, you know, empowerment. And, and so it's much more than women getting together for a good time. Um, you've also included a philanthropic mission with the conference. Tell us about that. 
Oh, my. Last year, we decided that, you know, women love to get together and have a good time with their girlfriends and their sisters and their mothers, but they also like to give back. And, you know, New Orleans has so many needs on so many levels um, that we thought, well, let's create something called the Bodacious Bras for a Cause. We reached out to celebrities as well as local socialites and, you know, New Orleans is a great artist, uh, Tanya. So we reached out to those as well, and we had 30 bras that we created last. Um, that were created by these people, and they they raised about twenty six thousand mm-hmm. dollars in the auction. And it's a delicious bras for a cause lunch, and it's New Orleans all the way. You know, it's very uh, over the top, crazy. People come and model them, and it got really fun. We had a Bloody Mary mixer before that. <laughs> It was very fun. And this year we're planning to do it again. Talk about some of the artists who've actually donated works of last year art. Had, last year we had Nicolopagus. And, you know, he's a fantastic artist. In we also had uh, glass bras created by uh, a glass blower in New Orleans. We had musicians. And this year again we'll have Irma Thomas creating a bra. Last year we had Rock and Gucci, who's over the top, one of the best musicians in New Orleans. Um, we had um, Martina McBride. I mean, just every color, and of course, um, we also had Susan Spicer, we also had the chefs involved. And um, it's a, you know, whatever kind of raw you want, they're all pieces of art that you would hang on your wall, and um, they're amazing. You can see them on our website at festigals.org. You talked about empowerment series of business, you know, professional development. Are there any powerful stories that you've heard of or you know of that has come out of a FestiGals conference from one of the attendees? Um, Actually, yes. We had, um, a year ago, we had two dynamic women who are both powerful in their own rights, one in New Orleans, one in New York, and they met and they started talking about working together as um, the woman in New York was going to represent the the woman in New Orleans, who's a big uh, advocate for American Heart as her publicist. And they have gone very far together and they've talked, I don't know if they've ever contracted, but I know that they have really shared practices and um, they shared contacts. And then there was this quote last year at the end of the conference that I'd really like to take a moment to tell you about. This woman wrote that my weekend at Festigals was one of the top five weekends of my entire life. Being an only girl, I missed the close connection with sisters. Festigals changed all that. I laughed and cried. I was inspired by sisters with no agenda other than to be with other women. Mm. That was just amazing. And this woman is an executive director for a big, uh, you know, cultural economy foundation. And I was just blown away by someone saying that about this wonderful weekend because it has become such a special place for so many women who are returning this year uh, to be part of it. I think you've given a good kind of holistic vision of what attendees can expect at Festigals, but I know there are other things that you guys do, the fun stuff like the stiletto stroll and, um, you know, other, other, other good things that, you know, women can get together and just be goofy and, and silly around each other. Um, what, what about the guys? Is there a role for men at the Festigals conference? 
Well, uh, they can stand by and watch us in the stiletto <laughs> stroll. It's, it's really, we have, this year we have Tori McPhail as our celebrity chef. You know, I don't know, he's a guy, of course, and he is the world famous chef and king uh, of food at Commander's Palace. So he'll be offering a, um, uh, wonderful, uh, cooking uh, presentation. We've added Thursday afternoon, and I want to mention that we have a powerful presentation with Amelia Antonetti, and she is an entrepreneur, an investor, a successful businesswoman, and a mom, and she's going to talk about the right ingredients for success, the right tools and easy to follow directions for CEOs as well as moms. But the fun part of Festivals, I think that's what you really asked me about. We have the Stiletto Stroll, which is part of Saturday night event. Um, we You don't have to have stilettos. It's just a fun street party that goes from the Hotel Monteleon, which is our host, through the streets of New Orleans to um, Bourbon Heat, where we have an on-the-balcony and in-the-club party for women. And we have about six of the women's dancing tribes from our crews that participate, and it is a once-in-a-lifetime event. You will never get to stroll down the streets of New Orleans, throwing beads, and having men hooping and hollering like you do at the stiletto stroll. <laughs> Certainly sounds like uh, a great time, and and um, just just before you know we leave, I want to share with our audience. So this event is held every June, correct? That's correct. That's the third weekend in June. Okay. Uh, it, it is it is June twentieth uh, to twenty third this year, and it is one hundred and fifty nine dollars for the Hotel Monteleon, which is unbelievable now because hotel rates in New Orleans, you know, can be three fifty and up on a weekend. Uh, so you should get your hotel room at the Hotel Monteleon. Book your Festival package, which is only three twenty five. That includes cocktails, food, luncheons, strolls six seminars, Bloody Mary receptions, and I forgot to tell you that we have a drag queen brunch on Sunday morning that is going to be something you have never seen in your life. Uh, so that be awesome. We also are doing a pajama party this year with karaoke late on Saturday night after our pub crawl. So there's just so much happening this weekend. You have to pack your bag and get to New Orleans for Festival 2015. Well, it certainly sounds like a good time, and you know, I'll I'll certainly be there, and I look forward to to seeing you there, and um, and welcoming any of our our listeners. And we'll have a link to the Festi Gals um, website to your website, festigals dot org, on our website, worldfootprints dot com. Uh, Diane Lyons is founder of Festi Gals. Thank you so much for joining us. Tanya, we look forward to your session and the Diva discussions on Friday the 21st because you're going to really empower a lot of women with your success story. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us on today's show from New Orleans. If you want more World Footprints Radio, including our World Footprints Travel Report, giving you the latest breaking travel news, visit us at worldfootprints.com. And while there, make sure you browse our new discovery tours and our upcoming travels scheduled for New Orleans and China this year. And also, subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on your favorite social network. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we thank you for joining us from New Orleans, and we look forward to seeing you very soon. Until then, we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel, but least positive footprints, one step at a time. Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Bell. The Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada. 
Bath National Park, natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio. They spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps, that are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. World Footprints Radio is a presentation of Travel and On Media Productions, LLC. All rights reserved.